Support for WERU comes from Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors Magazine and Show, August 10 through 12 in Rockland. Art, architecture, furniture, food, live music, and boats, boats, and more boats. On the web at mainboats.com. Just a few seconds before 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Is this thing on? This thing is now on, I believe. Yeah, we uh, started Boat Talk this morning with unplugged microphones. And, you know, it's kind of like not having the oar in the lock. Well, yeah, a few unplugged people. Some people too. might think that was a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it caused momentary confusion there, but I believe we're straightened out. Yeah. So the plugs have to be plugged in when you do this uh, radio thing. So here we are at Boat Talk. Uh, on community radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, around the world at WERU.org. Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague, and Giffy Full is back again. Hey, th- glad to have you here, Giffy. Glad to be here. Good. Boat Talk is uh, a show that uh, tends to talk about things uh, nautical. Uh, it's, it's like... Um, some of the sales talk is something that's mostly, mainly gibberish, except for the mizzen parts. And that's pretty good, gibberish and mizzen. I like that. <laughs> mainly, mainly gibberish, yes. Alan makes the boat puns here. And uh, we have a couple people to talk to this morning. We're going to talk about a uh, classic boat get together at Castine on August 1st. And beautiful, beautiful boats. Yeah, the Fifes. They're made over in Scotland in the early 1900s, and they'll be about the biggest gathering of those ever, including one which was just repaired at Rockport Marine down in Rockport. We'll be talking to Taylor Allen, Sam Chamberlain in just a few minutes. And uh, you've arranged to talk to a fellow who's, where, sailing around Cuba or some such? Yeah, Wally Moran, who is a... Uh, uh, people who read Sail magazine probably recognize his name. He's a Canadian who uh, goes south quite often in the wintertime and uh, has been to Cuba before and is planning to go again. So Wall is going to be uh, on, the, on the line probably around 1030. We uh, have a couple of uh, newsy items to talk about here, lobsters, uh, trash in Rockport, uh, Rockland Harbor, a couple other interesting things. But 
while Amy is getting the boys from Rockport Marine on the phone, uh, Giffy, we were just walking the dog out in the parking lot there. You just told me you, you sold one of your all-time favorite boats yes, the I other did. day. Yes, I did. It, uh, it's both good and bad. Uh, I've had a Peapod that's 65 years old, all in nice condition. Second Peapod that Havilah Hawkins Sr. ever built. And I've had her for 40 years. And uh, the last five, of, she's set in the barn, and that's not fair to the boat. And uh, I think she's found a good owner. We'll take care of her. All in nice shape for that age. And it's too bad not to use it. Well, I know how you feel too. I've sold boats that I've made too, and it's yeah. it's kind of a uh, yeah, I, uh, it's I, a hard I'm, thing. I'm not. I'm not happy to sell it, really. But uh, at my age, it's time to divest myself of some things where where they can be taken care of. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's certain boats that you just. Uh, I've got a dory like that. I could never imagine passing it on, but I, I haven't used it in five years either. Yeah. You know. Uh, which is a, kind of an interesting little conundrum. I'm looking at moving its storage. That's how. That's where I'm at. But to pass it on, no, I wouldn't. You know, maybe when I'm 85, as Giffy is. But good thing to have somebody to use it and take care of it. And uh, she is, as you say, 65 years old. It's a solidly built, heavy old Peapod. Yeah, not that heavy, but uh, moderately so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But a nice. Uh, Nice sailing rig, beautiful little boat to sail. A sailing rig as oh, well. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, so oh, it has yeah. a centerboard. Centerboard. Nice. And a regular standard rudder and so forth. And very simple rig, just a lovely boat to sail anytime, any place. Now, we like to explain our terms every once in a while on Boat Talk, and I'm reminded of the Peapod thing. Uh, two by my friend Mike down at the Castine Yacht Club. He rows a Peapod out to his boat, and it's the only one in sight there with all the Zodiacs. And I'm always teasing him he should get into something much more modern, but he's got the, <laughs> the best-looking boat down there. Yeah. The other thing is we uh, did a delivery out of Rockport a couple of years ago, and, and uh, one of the people with us took an extra hand for no autopilot. He got there early, and, and he wanted to go out to the boat on the morning, so we explained to him the boat's Peapod is down on the dock there. And uh, so when we got there, he was he was uh, very frustrated, and and he'd ended up he he didn't know what a peapod was, <laughs> and he he borrowed a slab sided rowboat, and again didn't know what a peapod was. I was shocked. A peapod looks like a peapod. It's pointed on both ends. It's kind of symmetrical, and they're very. You know very why it's pointed on both ends? Uh, tell me now. So a fellow never knows whether he's coming or going. <laughs> <laughs> I can see how that would be useful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, beautiful little boats, though, just classic. And, and again, symmetrical, pointed on both ends. The Peapod's about the sweetest-looking little thing. Of course, the uh, truth of the matter is I have another Peapod. Uh, <laughs> we didn't. We never uh, never considered you'd be out of boats yet, Giffy, but like I say, we got to use them, oh, too. Oh, God. <laughs> so where are we at this morning? I just saw you nodding at somebody there. Yeah, we do have uh, Taylor Allen already on the line, so we want to jump right into the, uh, the Fife thing. We certainly do. Uh, good morning, Taylor Allen. How are you? Good. We got Sam there, too? I am here as well. Sam Chamberlain. Sam, you've been on Boat Talk before, haven't you? I have not, actually. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were uh, uh, in charge of the Jacob Pike. That was Sam Temple. The other Sam. I'm sorry. Yeah. Tell us real quick, though, where did Jacob Pike end up? If we could reprise the Searsport uh, Maritime uh, Museum there, tried to, uh, was donated or tried to hold on to her, but couldn't. 
right. Sam Temple was minding the boat for a while. Where did where did Jacob Pike end up? She's in she's uh, she's back in Rockland, uh, in private hands. The museum transferred ownership to a guy named Jamie Steves, and he's using the boat um, as a lobster smack, uh, buying lobsters. I think principally out on Vinyl Haven, and then uh, ferrying bait back out there uh, on his uh, you know in return. Boy, so, the boat, we, so the boat's really working again. Excellent. We, we talked, talked about what a problem that might have been for the museum to have a, uh, uh, you know, a composting uh, exhibit there and, and working. I, I like the sound of that. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about this morning. On uh, August the 1st in Castine, they're going to have a, a uh, remarkable get-together of classic boats uh, made by the Fife Yard in Scotland in the early 1900s. And uh, there'll be about a half a dozen of them. They range up to almost 100 feet, and these boats are fairly spectacular. If you've uh, ever been in Camden Harbor, you've seen Sumeran, which is uh, all wood on the outside. It's got a big uh, windowed pilot house in the middle of it. Big sailboat lives over to uh, Wayfarer Marine. But you guys at Rockport Marine, you just rebuilt uh, Adventurous, which is a large schooner. Major project for you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a great project. It, we've uh, completely rebuilt the boat. Uh, it's been two, two and a half years uh, that we've been working on it, and uh, we're going to launch her on the 21st, coming up here in a, in a week or so. So it's uh, getting exciting. Good Lord, you've been working on it for two weeks, uh, two years, <laughs> two and a half years, and, and we got, like I say, two and a half weeks till the, uh, the get-together there. You can tell from a, um, I like to say things uh, that are built well age well, and uh, what did, what do you find? Uh, you guys renovate a lot of big old boats there. What did you find uh, when you went into Adventurous there? Well, there was uh, there was certainly a lot of a lot of rot, and she you know she was an old boat and it had a long life. But um, but you could definitely uh, you could definitely see the quality of the original construction. A lot of the original uh, joints and some of the bigger timbers uh, I think were really really first rate, and it and it showed that uh, even after. After all these years, she was built uh, 1924, um, and she largely still had her uh, had her shape. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the older yachts uh, that we restore here um, have been uh, have lost a lot of their shape. And, and adventurous when when she first came, we, we did a very uh, very accurate job of measuring the boat um, and comparing that to the original lines plan. And, and uh, the shear was a, a little a little wonky, but but she was uh, in remarkably good shape. Despite, despite a lot of the rot. But it's another factor. These boats were very, very well built. And they, even back then, they weren't expected to live 90 years. That's correct. Okay. How many hours goes into fixing a boat like that over two and a half years? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> could you build, you could build one in that time? It, I think, you know, this, this type of, uh, this type of restoration project is is very similar to, to building a new boat. Uh, I don't, there's not you know, not a lot of uh, of time difference in the end between starting from scratch and and uh, starting with an old boat and rebuilding it to the to the level that we have. I'll tell you something else. Uh, your shop in Rockport there is in a fairly uh, uh, you know it's a busy spot down there at the head of the harbor, and the doors are open in the summertime, and you can stick your head in the shop there, and when you do invariably when I ever have you looking up into the guts of a very large uh, wooden boat 
with very large uh, pieces of wood you guys work with there. And I'm telling you, I found it uh, fascinating to look in the door and see what you guys do. And, and uh, obviously world class at it. The guys down there are certainly, uh, they're very talented at, at putting big, big timbers together. Uh, and it's from, uh, from a designer's perspective, it's always pretty neat to, uh, to poke my head down in the shop every now and then and, 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 uh, and see the ingenuity of and how these guys figure out how to get all these big timbers to fit together so well. Now, over to uh, Castine on August the 1st, we're going to have like, uh, oh, half a dozen of these boats, the... Uh, 94-foot catch Bell Adventure, uh, the 94-foot catch Sumeran, your uh, Adventurous, which is an 83-foot topsail schooner. The 40-foot uh, Fifi and 36-foot uh, uh, Lana are all going to be there over to the Castine Town Dock. They're going to have launch service, uh, which is not usual in Castine Harbor for people that want to come by boat. And also, this is around the uh, Camden to Castine race weekend with the Egmogen Reach uh, race thrown in there too, so there'll be a lot of other classic boats around. It's uh, really going to be a trip. You are um, also given a, uh, uh, let's see, on, on Saturday, August 1st, the uh, boats will be at the Castine Town Dock starting at noontime, open to the public, I'm assuming. And uh, later that afternoon, there's a get-together up to the Maine Maritime Academy, and Taylor, you'll be hanging out and leading a little chat about these boats. Who's going to be there doing that? Oh, there'll be, uh, well, uh, some of the owners of the boats will be there. Uh, Sam Chamberlain will be there. Um, I'm going to be the moderator. Uh, let me see who else is going to be there. I'm going to, uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to try to arm twist another person who I won't mention at the moment in case he decides not to do it. But there'll probably be, oh, I'm guessing maybe eight speakers up on stage. Uh, Brian Reef from Brooklyn will be there. Uh, Toby Rhodes will be there. Um, so there'll be a you know there'll be a nice representation of both owners and builders and captains of the boats uh, up on stage to give a brief presentation. You know we'll be looking for comment and input from from the audience. Um, I think it's going to start around four and go for a couple of hours. Um, so anyway, we're hoping it's going to be good weather and that there'll be a nice turnout. But we'll chance we'll to know more as the time gets closer. Talk classic boats. Uh, tell me real quick, how much difference does an owner make to a restoration? Oh, it, it makes a, a, huge a huge difference. Got to, yeah. doesn't it? He's paying all the bills, and, and yeah. there's got to be big surprises, not all of them pleasant. Yeah. And you, certainly with, uh, with these restorations, you really you have to have the right attitude uh, from the owner if the project's going to turn out in, in the end and understand the, under, understand the surprises that you might find um, and, the, and the commitment needed to... Uh, to get everything done right, we've been we've been very lucky in this project to have a to have a fantastic owner who's really really committed to doing the project well, doing it right. Hopefully, he'll be having his reward of standing on that boat safely in the water very soon. Yeah, yeah. Won't that be a beautiful thing? Yeah, I, I would. I'll expand on what Sam just said a little bit. I mean, what Sam said is absolutely the truth. But but essentially, you know, all boat builders, you know, are in the we're in the trust business, <laughs> and by that I mean. You know, the, in order for a project to turn out well, there has to be trust between the owner and the and the builder and designer. Um, it's probably, in, in my opinion, anyway, it's the it's the key ingredient to a uh, successful project. And like Sam said, in this case, we've got that in spades with this particular owner. Yeah. What it is is a total commitment to the boat. Yes, on by both. all parties concerned. That's exactly right. 
Well, also to uh, to uh, uh, praise Giffy, I guess I'll say, uh, it's very important to have a very good survey right in the very beginning so you got a rough idea at least of uh, what you're getting into. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, until they start taking her apart and find out something. Well, like Mike says, there's always surprises. <laughs> Has there yeah. ever been a boat without a surprise, the, and again, without a bad surprise? Yes, that's correct. I mean, the, when it, whenever somebody approaches us about a restoration project, I always recommend that they get, um, you know, the, the best surveyor they can find to do the, the most complete survey that that individual can accomplish because that's going to really allow the owner to make, you know, the, the most informed decisions earliest on. So Taylor, that's while, an important piece. Taylor, while we got you on the phone here, we got to uh, talk about the Front Street Shipyard down in Belfast, which oh, yeah. is a new venture. Yes. Um, just started up, uh, what, a year or so ago now. How many people we got down there? What are we doing? Well, I think that uh, uh, J.B. Turner is uh, sort of the managing partner of a, of a few of us who sort of come together to get this yard going. And I think there right now there are roughly 70 people working there. Wow. It's been phenomenal. I mean, it's a real, it's a real testament to um, JV's, you know, skill and abilities and personalities that, um, that the yard is as busy as it is this early in the game. It's quite remarkable. These uh, boats that you do down to Rockport are of some size, and, and size kind of matters. Now, you can haul a boat anywhere on the coast of Maine, but to haul, no, the, big ones, <laughs> to haul the big ones is, is uh, quite more limited. Now, how big of a boat can you haul at Front Street in Belfast? Well, the, the, uh, our travel lift, the mobile boat hoist, is rated for 165 U.S. tons. So that's, uh, I mean, that's roughly three times the capacity of the lift we have here in Rockport. Wow. We talked uh, the other day, too, about the, uh, you know, there's a lot of really big yachts uh, just down in Newport, and we, yes. we call the big powerboats heavy metal, you know, and they're they gaggle down there, but you don't see them gaggling down here at all. You see the odd one, but they really don't come down here, um, which I think is more of a lifestyle thing than a lobster pot problem, but you would like to get them down here for their service, and they're obviously well-heeled owners. Well, yes, I mean, that's really one of, one of the reasons that we started the facility in the first place was um, was to be able we hope to attract um, you know larger larger boats both you know both um, you know yachts like you described and you know commercial boats for that matter um, and Belfast is a you know it's just a wonderful um, city to do that in I mean it's got it's got a couple of things going for it that are really important for a yard of this size one it's got deep water you know, right up at our dock and, uh, you know, uh, floats. Um, it's got a four or five acres of flat land in, in mid-coast Maine. That's a real rarity, and it's really one of the things that really attracted us to the place in the, in the beginning. And Belfast is a wonderful city to be in. So those three things really combine to make it seem like something we should try to do. Excellent. If we were to uh, walk by the shop this morning and look up into, uh, uh, what would we be look, looking in inside the beautiful open doors today? Well, the, we've had the, our, our main project uh, through the course of the winter, and it's still ongoing, is a 106-foot aluminum motor yacht that came up from New Jersey uh, for, a complete, for a complete refit. Aluminum, you said? Yes. That surprised me. You, got, you guys, I think of wood guys. Aluminum's, uh, boy, it's a whole different trip. 
Um, you you guys obviously must uh, have aluminum welding capacity, aluminum bending capacity. Uh, we're developing that. Yeah, this is a restoration in the sense that um, you know the aluminum structure is in is in pretty good condition actually. Um, a lot of the paint uh, aluminum is a is a difficult material for paint to adhere to for a long period of time. So a lot of the work is um, really refurbishing the you know the painted exteriors of the boat. Uh, but in, in this particular case, there's some aluminum you know fabrication and welding involved. But it's not a it's not a big piece of the project. Wow. So, you know it's all engines and generators and wiring and systems uh, replacements plus a lot of interior woodwork. Well, and again. Um Aluminum boat is a traveling battery in salt water and has uh, electrolysis concerns. For instance, you don't want to drop a penny in, in aluminum bilge, do you? No, that's right. But that's you know that's also true of other materials. I mean, you just have to be careful. You know, with uh, you just have to be careful with electricity and uh, and dissimilar metals. I'm just saying it takes a special expertise, and I'm I'm surprised and impressed. Good for you guys. Well, J, this is JB's world. I mean, he, he knows. You know, he knows composite boats and aluminum boats much better than, than I do, for example. Nice. Well, you, you fellas have done a wonderful job there to get that place up and going like it is. It's remarkable, isn't it, Giffy? Yeah, and furthermore, it's in an ideal location where there's facilities for people and transportation, and it's just a, a very good all-around place. Yep, agreed. Well, and uh, thank you for, and thank you for that too. Yeah, we uh, you know we do uh, boat talk because boating is fun, and some people poo poo yachting, but we're talking about the main economy. I was about to say there, and you know that you're absolutely right about that. You know these are these are often um, I hesitate to use the word toys, but they're you know they're, it's discretionary for you know a number of people, but it is really important for the you know for the main coastal communities. Um, and a lot, you know, a lot of the people that work in these yards, you know, live inland. You know, for example, in Rockport, in Belfast, people live in Searsport and Belmont and, you know, Appleton and uh, places inland. So it's it's a it's a big deal. Yeah. You know, not just our not just our yards, but all the yards up and down the coast of Maine. Excellent, and uh, the world world class comes to mind. So good for you guys, and we've we've uh, very much enjoyed talking to you this morning, Taylor Allen yep. and Sam Chamberlain from down to yep. uh, Rockport Marine, of the head of yep. the harbor in beautiful Rockport, Maine. Thank well, you very much. Thank thanks you. to both of you. Thank you. Yeah, and we're doing boat talk this morning. That was all about again the uh, Fife reunion at Castine on August the first. Be a beautiful Saturday morning. They had a Harishoff reunion last year and the same kind of deal, and it was spectacular, I must say. And the Harishoffs and the Fifes were contemporaries of each other, and again, um, if you want to see a pile of just stunning, stunning boats, uh, Castine, August 1st, would be the place to be. August, and August 4th, I guess we have been cr just corrected, is the date. Uh, Saturday is August 4th, yeah. Anyway, this is on the August... August 1st, didn't have my digital calendar, and I apologize for that. August 1st is the date, though. Okay, let's go on to our second guest, Wally Moran of uh, Sail Magazine, and also uh, uh, quite, a, quite a sailor himself, went up and down the coast many, many times and uh, to Cuba, and is planning to go to Cuba again. Good morning, Wally. Good morning, and how are you? 
Very good. Welcome to Boat Talk. Nice to be here, Alan. Um, so you uh, are getting together a, uh, a trip that you plan to circumnavigate Cuba this winter. Now, as I understand, the, the, the winds around Cuba blow pretty much east to west. Is that right? And so part of your trip is going to be uh, rather difficult. Isn't that right? Well, actually, a very small part of it. And, and you're absolutely right about the fact that the winds typically come out of the east. Uh, I've done the north coast of Cuba in two previous visits. And what I plan to do this trip is to come down through the Bahamas, go down to the bottom of the Exumas, then down to the bottom of the Jumentos to Ragged Island, and then sail the 65 miles across to um, Puerto de Vida, which is a port of entry in Cuba. That'll give me about 160, 175 miles to go, uh, to go east to the, uh, the, the far eastern tip of Cuba. Then I'll go around to the south coast, and I'll travel west on the south coast. Very good. So um, we made a link to your website, uh, Cuba for, uh, what is it? I forget the Cuba name. Forbidden, Cuba Forbidden Paradise. Yes, yes. And uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that and, and what your plans are to do? Well, there's, there's a huge, huge interest among American sailors and Americans in general about the country of Cuba because, of course, you've been for, um, forbidden to, to go travel there for um, slightly over 50 years. Now, what I'm going to be doing is a, uh, a one-hour narrative documentary on traveling in Cuba uh, from, the, um, from the point of view of two people cruising the coast. Uh, we intend to travel down the, the south coast of Cuba, come around and come back to Havana. Uh, and during that time, we'll be exploring as much of Cuba as possible, um, the, uh, the cities of Cienfuego, Trinidad, um, Santiago de Cuba, we're going to be looking at the art. We're going to be looking at the culture. But we're going to be doing this not as a... Um, how do I explain this? We're going to be getting in close and personal with the local people. You know, we're going to be trading with local fishermen for, for lobster and fish. And this is not going to be some uh, luxury resort thing. This is going to be the way most people really, really experience Cuba. And also how Cubans experience dealing with, with people who have come to their country from, from other places. I, I hope you're going to go up into Santiago. Uh, you know what? I've heard wonderful things about Santiago. I, I was there in a big yacht in 1949, and uh, I thought it was a, quite an interesting and beautiful place when you, you go up this narrow narrow ri river with uh, high land on both sides, and, it's, and you get up in and it opens up into a big bay up in there, and uh, mountains to the west... Northwest, I guess. And it's a pretty interesting place, I thought. Still have the pictures of it. I have seen pictures of it, and I have friends who have been there. And I'm re that's one of the places I'm really excited about going to, because it is very scenic. And, and I believe Santiago is one of the uh, UN um, heritage cities, or, or some such designation as that. But I understand it's, it's really quite a fascinating place. But all of Cuba is really fascinating. Uh, it, it's so, in so many ways, it's like it's been trapped in a time warp. And I hate to use a cliché. But um, their, their lifestyle is much simpler. And, and surprisingly, despite the, the fact that the average Cuban earns around $20 a month, they're very happy people. Wally, what kind of flag are you flying on your boat? Uh, I'm, I'm Canadian. Yeah. Although as a journalist, I would be able to go regardless. For example, if I was an American but a journalist, I would be able to travel to Cuba. But your boat's uh, got a Canadian got a maple leaf on it. Yes, it has it has yeah, the red and white maple leaf. Should yeah. be. Why would you why would you fly anything else? 
Well, uh, again, uh, uh, the Canadians and the Cubans uh, do share a, a great uh, relationship, and, and I believe Canadians are about the largest uh, uh, class of tourists on Cuba. Um, haven't there been in, in the past decade uh, American yachts that have tried to uh, or have, have gone and come and gone from Cuba, Wally? There's a considerable number. When I was in uh, Marina Hemingway last winter, um, there are a large number of American boats there, a lot of them stored permanently. Um, that being said, um, there's also, um, not a lot, but there's always two or three American boats that are passing through. Typically what happens is um, they, will be, they will come into Havana, into Hemingway, excuse me, uh, and then they'll sail on to uh, Isla de Mujeres or, or on to other ports in the Caribbean rather than return to America. And, and since uh, Cuba does not stamp your passport, uh, Obviously, American officials tend to be unaware of this. And I think it's almost a don't-ask-don't-tell policy with American officials now under the new administration. Interesting. Uh, currency plays a large uh, role in the whole America-Cuba thing. And, and again, uh, I was, I was uh, mentioned to be chary of politics this morning, but when you're talking about Cuba, it's all about politics. Isn't that true? It, it is. Um, when you're talking about America and Cuba, then it becomes all about politics, and that's something I want to avoid in the in the in the uh, in the documentary because I think that on both sides, politics has been more of the problem than the solution, and that's sad because there's a great deal more that binds uh, Americans and Cubans than separates them. The Cubans understand this. The the Cubans are aware that the problem is between the governments, not between the people. So when Americans do visit Cuba, they're they're very very welcomed. No, I think it's a, a great place to cruise, and uh, I'm sure you're going to keep learning. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we haven't talked about uh, your boat itself. I, I understand it's quite showly, mostly around Cuba. What kind of boat do you have? Well, my boat is a 34 D4 uh, built in 1975. It has a five-foot draft. Um, there, are, there are a fair number of areas that are somewhat shoal, but... Um, the, um, the, the shelf comes in quite close to the coast, uh, and then it, it falls off very rapidly to ocean depth. So the, the point is when you come in, you just have to pay good close attention to where you're going, watch your charts, watch your depth sounder. Uh, interestingly enough, even though they don't have a, um, in most areas they don't have a standardized system of voyage the way we do, um, if you've ever read Nigel Calder's book on cruising Cuba, he indicates... Uh, about the various stakes and sticks that you'll find. And those stakes and sticks are still there even 12, 13 years later. And, and they're, they're maintained by the fishermen, and they're quite accurate. Wow. That's, uh, yeah. Uh, they're not probably going to show up on your GPS machine, though, Wally. The, the, sticks, and, the sticks and the uh, stakes do not. No, you're right. Um, in fact, uh, the, once you get far enough inside the reef, your GPS is, is not worth a great deal because the charts are not that, that, that useful. You need to have paper charts to do Cuba, and you need to have Calder's book um, about cruising in Cuba. Those are two absolute necessities. Hmm. Where do you get charts? Um, I picked up my initial set of charts from Blue Water Charts in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, they, um, they, get the, they get the Cuban charts, and then they photocopy them. Um, there's also a new uh, set of charts out by, I think the company's NV Charts, and I have a set of those. They don't have them for all of Cuba yet, though, but uh, they're quite nice charts. 
last delivery I did, Wally, uh, Captain showed me that every chart in the world is available on his iPhone. Kind of blew my mind. Yeah, so understand. I just got an iPhone, actually, and I haven't bothered downloading any charts or anything yet. I plan to do that, but I, I don't feel comfortable navigating from a screen that tiny. And the thing about Cube is that it's, um, you know, it, it, you, you, it's really eyeball navigation. You, you cannot look at a chart and depend on it. The charts uh, will give you some good, some good ideas about where you should be, but uh, you've got to keep your eyes on the color of the water and the contours and, and such if you're going to get through Cuba safely. You're time tripping. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. But it's wonderful. I mean, you know, everybody talks about the, the old cars in Havana, and, and actually I've got a, on, my, on the website, I've got a, uh, a two-minute um, video on, on some of the cars of Cuba. These kinds of things are just fascinating. I mean, Cuba was discovered by Columbus, and, uh, you know, there are buildings that have been there for hundreds of years. There's some wonderful, wonderful um, history in Cuba. Old museums, convents, monasteries, you know, um, artwork. It, it's amazing what's there. It's astounding. Mm -hmm. What about the music? Oh, yeah. <laughs> everywhere you go, everywhere you go. One of my favorite stories, my first trip to, um, to Cuba, I was in Veradero, and um, I'm, I'm coming back from the entertainment district, and it's, it's probably quarter to two in the morning. And by the way, Cuba's a very safe country. You can walk the streets at that hour in complete safety. Anyway, I'm walking past this little pub, and there's a group of people there, and they all wave over, wave to me to come over to the, the patio. And, and it's a group of people there. There's a, a Russian couple. There's a, a bunch of uh, Cubans, a couple of other nationalities. I forget whom. But very few of them spoke English, except the girl who was playing the guitar, and she was in a wheelchair. So she played me a John Denver song to welcome me to the group. And then we sat and we drank mojitos until, well, the sun was coming up when I got back to my boat. Let me tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, uh, that what's the rig on your boat? It's a sloop rig. Yeah, okay. It's a sloop rig, like most boats. Also on your boat, um, you uh, fit into one of my favorite classes of cruising persons in that you uh, have a, a four-legged friend, either a dog or cat, dog in your place, just like Giffy goes traveling with his dog. I think that's wonderful. Um, can we tell the story of, uh, of your dog? Well, the dog's name is Eduana, which is a Spanish word meaning customs. Now, she is from Veradero. She was a, a two-month-old puppy, uh, weighed about eight pounds, and she was starving because, unfortunately, they, they don't have the funds to deal with spaying or, or neutering dogs in Cuba. So there's, there's thousands upon thousands of, of street dogs. Well, this little puppy threw herself at my feet in Veradero, and to make a, a bit of a long story short, I ended up having to adopt her uh, and smuggle her out of the country in the rebirth of my boat, and the Cubans pretended she wasn't there when she barked, which <laughs> I was very grateful for. <laughs> Where it got fun was when I got back when I got back to the United States, and I'm not sure I should tell the story. Now it is legal to bring a dog into the United States, uh, provided you fit certain criteria, which the dog did. Because there's no internet access in Cuba, I didn't know that. Well, I'm sailing down, I'm sailing down the ICW west of Isla Morada, and I get I see this 35 foot open boat with three huge Yamaha engines on the back, screaming down. It's pushing about a foot's worth of wake, and I'm in, I've got six inches clearance to the bottom, so they're going to bounce me on the bottom. Well. They don't slow down even though I'm waving at them, and I finally gave them a, a significant hand gesture, can we say? Yeah, yeah good. We know. And, for you. <laughs> and they slowed down, and when the wake disappeared from the front of their boat, it turned out that I had been waving at a boat that belonged to Homeland, uh, uh, Customs and Border Patrol Homeland Security, according to the logo. So they boarded the boat, and they, they're, they're, which annoyed me to no end because they, they were in the wrong. 
But anyway, they boarded the boat, uh, they conducted a search, and they started asking me a few questions. And essentially, they, they weren't being obnoxious. Well, they were being obnoxious, but they weren't being rude. They were being very courteous. But you know what it's like when you get pulled over by a police officer. Mm-hmm. They might not give you a ticket, but they're going to make it clear what the, what the situation is. And, and I was quite annoyed. And, and anyway, at, um, at one point, um, I looked down at my feet because I didn't want to look at the guy and say what was on my mind. And I saw my little two-month-old, eight-pound puppy peeing on the guy's shoes. <laughs> Good. Which I thought was a perfectly suitable reaction. Yeah, to yeah. Good for the I'm dog. Just I have, I'm, just I have, I'm just ashamed I didn't have the courage to do it. Yeah. I'm somewhat. Did I say dis- that on public radio. I'm somewhat oh, yeah. dismayed to think the country's not safe from Canadian cruisers and Cuban puppies. <laughs> yeah. 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 All the money we've spent. It's legal well. now, by the way. Well, you're going to have a great time, anyhow. <laughs> Did you explain to Homeland Security your uh, your reason for uh, your being upset at their their behavior? They um, they explained to me that uh, going fast, they threw up less weight than when they were going slow. Uh, I'm a I'm an instructor, and I just thought maybe the best thing to do is to shut my mouth at this point. Yeah, it's difficult at best. <laughs> yeah, I've been, 25 I've been there. Years. I spent 25 years as a newspaper publisher and editor, and you know what? It's tough for us to keep quiet at the best of times. Well, and the danger you were in there was you're in shallow water, and, and uh, when the boat goes by, your boat is going to be lifted and yeah. dropped. And I know somebody that went to the Bahamas to buy their, their dream, a classic old wooden trawler, and they were bringing it back over to Florida. A powerboat passed them in a shallow, and they snapped the keel in half when they thumped around the bottom. Lost yeah, the boat. I, so that is, like say, that's um, it is a tricky well, little situation. I have been bounced on the bottom in that location before uh, when I was there a few years ago, and that's why I was concerned about it. But, um, I mean, you know, it, the, the Coast Guard, the Coasties are, are superb boaters. Unfortunately, it's been my experience and that of other boaters, and this is really maybe politically something I shouldn't say, but it's been my experience that the, the Homeland Security people on boats are our police officers first and voters second? Maybe that's the kindest way I can phrase it. I've heard many reports of that sort of thing. Well, their their authority got control of them. Well, you know, like they have a job to do, and I respect that, and they're welcome to board my boat to do their job. Yeah. But I also want them to respect the fact that they're on the water. I mean, if they were running a cruise on the land, they wouldn't go flying down a, a residential street at a uh, hundred and ten miles an hour. Well, you know, when you're in shallow water, you don't go blasting by somebody's boat at, at full speed throwing up a big wake. Mm-hmm. And they don't seem to understand that. Let's just uh, really quickly try and imagine uh, talking about putting up big fences and razor wire across the uh, land border, trying to secure <laughs> the water border is, is not even really possible. No, um, well, we, we, should, we should get back to talking about Cuba, which is where we started from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could, we could tell stories about these things all day long, and, and, and plus probably get lots of foreign stuff, too. But uh, no, the, the game plan with Cuba is, is to be able to present this um, this new TV show um, at the uh, uh, towards the end of 2013, once we've got production and uh, and all the uh, the work done on it. And of course, the big key, the big key right here now is, is is discovering financing for it, which I'm really you know which I'm I'm working on. Well, you can mention that. Okay, great. Um, People are aware, of course, that one of the big sources of financing for uh, creative things nowadays is, is what they call crowdfunding. And what I've done is I've gone to a, an organization called Kickstarter.com and put the, um, the story of Cuba Forbidden Paradise on there, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, 
and I'm seeking um, I'm seeking sponsorship from private individuals. And the reason I want to do this is because I don't want it, I don't want the the story to be beholden to commercial interests that might have a um, a point of view that they want put forward. I'd like this to be a project of of, of I hate to say it this way because then it sounds almost socialist, but I I, uh, I want it to be a project of the people, uh, which maybe is, is is not a bad idea when you're talking about Cuba. Uh, but some of the awards we've got run all the way from uh, screensavers and uh, up to original art, original Cuban art and original Cuban music. Uh, anybody who'd like to uh, sponsor the show to the $2,500 level, we'll invite them to, uh, to Cuba to do a cameo in the show itself. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, it would be our hope that we would be able to bring uh, an American citizen across as a, um, under a media license. Mm. So we've got a variety of, of fascinating... Um, fascinating um, awards for people who choose to sponsor the show, anywhere from $10 on up. So that's kick, kickstarter.com. Kickstarter.com. I believe you have a link to it on, on your site, and if you don't, it's certainly on the Cuban for, CubaForbiddenParadise.com website. Right. Or on our Facebook page as well. We'd hate to think we talked to you a year too soon here, Wally. We may have to uh, chase you down and find out what happens. Oh, more than happy to. I mean, there's lots of adventures out there. I mean, I, I haven't talked about many of the things that happened in Cuba, like the great fishing, uh, the guy who uh, lost an impeller, and it took him almost six weeks to get his impeller replaced. Six um, weeks? Well, yeah. At one point, his impeller, and he had to order his impeller through a U.S. firm that uh, had it shipped out of Canada. Somehow or other, it got FedEx to Africa before it ended up in Havana and <laughs> held up for three weeks by Ooh. the... The Cuban customs people. Nothing in Cuba doing. Nothing in Cuba is easy to do. Mm-hmm. The bureaucracy is um, is pervasive. Oh, and, and then I didn't tell you about the the guy who sits in the condo beside Marina Hemingway, monitoring all the cell phones and text calls that you make. <laughs> Boy, oh, it's a fascinating country. I mean, it's 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 just so. At times it's a cliche, and at other times it's a time warp, and and it's just it's eternally fascinating. But the people are wonderful. They're happy. They love... We were talking about the music. No matter where you go and no matter what restaurant you go into, there will be groups of Cubans who will just all of a sudden break into song or somebody will be carrying a guitar and they'll start to sing and dance. And it's, 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 it's wonderful. It's just so thoroughly enjoyable. It's, it's refreshing to go there and see people just being happy despite the fact they have nothing. They, well, know, they know how to be happy. Somehow they've discovered that. Yeah, yes, yeah. you're right. Yeah. And your dog is going to be going with you on this trip, too? Edwana has gone back, and she's met the people who let her go again, and uh, she was welcome into, she's welcome into Cuba. Ah, that's good. Yeah. Well, thanks for speaking with us this morning, Wally. Where, where are we talking to you this morning? Right now I'm a little bit, uh, a little bit east of Buffalo on the Erie Canal. Um, later today I'll be heading out onto Lake Erie and re-stepping the mast and turning myself back into a real sailboat. In the Erie Canal, you say? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you, you, for people who don't know about re-stepping, the Erie Canal has some low bridges, and any sailboat that goes down it has to have its uh, mast Very removed. Very low on the Erie yeah. section. So yeah, the, the, control, the controlling depth is about fifteen. Uh, controlling uh, height rather is about fifteen feet. So even a lot of bigger trawlers have to drop things like radar masts and such. Yeah, that's that's the lower section. I think the rest of it's yeah. about. I'm not sure. Twenty-two feet. Nine, uh, Nineteen feet. Yeah. I'm an off. I'm a blue water man, Wally. You you like being in the middle of the the country there, or out in out in the middle of uh, the ocean? 
Well, it, it, the the canal is actually very enjoyable, but it's the price that I have to pay to get back to the Great Lakes, which has got some of the best sailing in the world. Someday we'll have to talk about uh, the North Channel and Georgian Bay, which are, are exquisite. I've been to Tahiti, and my favorite spot for sailing is still Killarney in, uh, in Georgian Bay. Isn't that interesting? I'm scared of lakes, personally, uh, lake waves. Oh, uh, again, I'm an offshore guy, so good, oh, yeah. talk, good talking to you this morning, Wally. Great talking to you, too. Thanks very much. Yeah, so thank, thank you, you sir. Wally. We are doing boat talk this morning, and the phone number, if anybody is at all... Uh, Tempted to give us a call. It is a we always we always answer the phone on Boat Talk. We never tell you when you can call. You can call anytime. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Little well, eclectic this morning. Yeah, that's okay though. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. There's some very nice pictures of uh, Wally's dog on his website, which we did, as I said, made a link from the boattalk.org website. Here's uh, speaking of nice pictures. This is uh, something new and, and something we've talked about before. Uh, you go to a website website called Explore.org, and they are affiliated with Maine Audubon, Audubon, and they have put cameras out on Seal Island, uh, way down east, and they are face to face with puffins. And apparently, these are the uh, best puffin cams ever. They got one out on a rock, and they got one in a burrow. And uh, they turned them on in uh, the end of June, and apparently at explore.org, you can watch the puffins. And also they have a couple other cameras out there on some turns and a uh, osprey. And these people at explore.org, they're part of the, uh, oh, uh, Annenberg Foundation has set these people up. And they've done other things. They've covered other animals, too. They covered polar bears in, in Manitoba, uh, for instance. Uh, they've covered... Uh, Oh, uh, oh, a couple other uh, pandas, whales, you know. And uh, so anyway, they're into showing you nature in its natural state. Explore.org. They got camera on the puffins out on I, Sea Island. I saw a beautiful sight two weeks ago, right down over Center Harbor. Six eagles all soaring together. Woo, yep. Quite a sight. It's been a long time since we've seen eagles and bunches. Yeah, and uh, one of my friend lobster fishermen, the previous week had seen seven eagles in Jericho Bay, out on Jericho Bay. Well, good for us that yeah, we're finally quite, keeping the uh, quite, animals quite in mind. Quite wonderful to see uh, a flock like that flying around. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. Always consider seeing the eagle to be a lucky thing and always wave to him. And then lucky enough where I live on a, on a Graham Lake there that uh, we have resident eagle and we also have some resident geese this summer. And the eagle is patrolling the geese hard, so we see the eagle all the time. Uh -huh. well, that's another thing about you should understand about eagles, uh, which I never knew. Uh, they cannot land on the water. They cannot take off from the water. Yep. If they if they trip picking up a fish, they're in trouble. I have not been impressed by the eagles' fishing skills. Uh, you see them catch stuff every once in a while, but you see them miss so much, and uh, I guess that's a good reason why he's keeping himself safe. Well, why, anyway. don't, why don't you try it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. the phone is wrong. <laughs> yeah, we do have a phone call. So good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Yeah, hi, how you doing? I was just listening to your show. I'm in Chicago at the moment, and I'm listening to your show on the web. So, oh, nice. Um, uh, and I just wanted to pick up on what your man was saying about the North Channel of uh, Lake Huron. Uh, it's beautiful, beautiful cruising country up there, and uh, 
And I and I was just uh, spent time on the Maine coast really for the first time last summer, and it and it basically looks real, real similar, except that the water you can drink the water, you know, <laughs> different. <laughs> uh, the tide is not all, as big. Uh, it's all that pre-Cambrian granite and pine trees and rocks and islands and, and drop-offs and you bet eagle, yeah, all thing. So I just wanted to uh, give a shout out. To uh, that as a cruising country, and um, and say at a boy there for for having that on your show. Oh, great! How how much of a cruise is it from Chicago up to there? Oh well, you know, getting up the length of Lake Michigan, especially in August, you can have a lot of uh, uh, you know, you a big old high can come and sit down over the Great Lakes, and you can have a lot of flat, greasy calms. So, you know, you might be a motorboat a fair amount of the time. So mm-hmm. that can make it really slow. It's quite a you know, haul. the Mac... I'm sorry? Oh, it's a fair haul up there. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's 360 miles from yeah. Chicago to the Straits, and, uh, and then, you know, on into... Uh, I don't remember the distance, on into... Uh, um, the North Channel area, but it's beautiful, beautiful country up there. It's, uh, I think from Chicago, you'd be better, uh, at least my current plan is to get a boat that'll fit on a trailer and, you know, get up to the cruising country and hmm. in a shorter amount of time and, and, uh, and then spend your time up there. Cause when I was a kid, you know, we would cruise, we would cruise from Chicago up to the North Channel and it'd take you a good, a week or so to get up the length of the lake. Luckily, both my parents were school teachers, and we had the time. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a haul getting up there. Got to ask you this morning, how'd you uh, happen to get hooked up with us at Boat Talk here from Chicago? Well, actually, last summer I spent three weeks taking classes at uh, the Wooden Boat School. Oh, there how much fun was that? It was totally cool. It was totally cool. And, and my teacher for two of the classes, three weeks, was Greg Russell, who uh, is yes. a fixture at your station there. And so he would put your station on, on you know, when we were working. And so oh, good Lord. You never, you never had a chance, did you? <laughs> It was wonderful. It was a good time. And so then when I got back to Chicago, I, you know, I dialed you guys up on the, on the uh, internet radio. So nice. If you're not aware, last month we talked to uh, Rich Hillsinger, the director of the Wooden Boat School, oh, all, yeah. about, all, all about it. So uh, if anybody's interested, that program is archived at weru.org and also at boattalk.org. And Rich Great. Hillsinger... The director of the Wooden Boat School will be doing the music program right after us here. It's all connected, mind you, small neighborhood. And having in as a live musical guest this morning, if you're on the web, you may want to uh, check this, Noel Paul Stuckey being here at noontime. Noel uh, was critical in the founding of this here community radio station. Great. Yeah, big day around here. And again, all connected, couldn't resist that. Thanks for listening to uh, WERU and uh, spread the word. Thank you. Thank you. We have another phone caller, so let's go right to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Yes, Steve down Southwest Harbor. Hey, Steve. Morning, Steve. Good to hear from you. Good good to talk to you guys. Giffy's comment on the Eagles reminded me we were down to uh, Tenants Harbor a couple weekends ago and went up to Thomaston by boat, and we watched seals herding fish, which was the first time I'd ever seen it, with them actually, one of them actually jumping out of the water on a regular basis. But 
They also attracted the attention of an osprey in the location. And it flew in and it hovered and then it shot down. It hit the water, took a fish, and just sat there. In and, the water. And then suddenly took off. And I was watching thinking, huh. it's got a fish too big, it can't go, and went. Now I'd always thought that they, I mean, yeah, they don't, they don't land on the water and float around like a gull, but apparently they can handle being at the surface and take off from it. And was that like a run and take off, or just kind of nope. jump out of the water? It just lifted off from the water. It was wow. really fascinating to watch. Wow. Yeah. They, can, they can fly practically vertically. Well, the ospreys. Ospreys, yeah. yes. Well, yeah. they, of course, it's a lot smaller and lighter bird, I guess, in mm -hmm. a way. You know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just It fascinated me, and I, I'd be surprised an eagle could do it, but it certainly wasn't something I thought an osprey would pull off either. I've, I've never seen them do it. They're right... They're right just within 300 feet of my boat and uh, on the mooring there. And I, I watch them all the time, but I've never seen them land on the water. Yeah, yeah. I have. I have. And, and yeah. you, they'll fly up in the air just a little ways, and you can sort of see them shake themselves <laughs> off while they're flying, <laughs> losing some of the water weight. Yeah. Yep. Isn't nature wonderful? And you've got to watch things on an ongoing basis to, to get the patterns and, and stuff and to, you know, see all the little things like, say, your osprey there. Uh, we're out cruising, were we, Steve? Yeah, yeah, with uh, friends down in Tenants Harbor. They got a small boat, and we went for a cruise. I hadn't been on the water in quite a while. It was perfect conditions, uh, relatively flat calm. I uh, went all the way up to the bridge at um, uh, just above Lyman Moss there and then back down again. Boy, nice. Uh, the summer, of course, has turned the last few days anyway into couldn't couldn't be uh, nicer or better. And could I suggest that a ride in a nice boat, uh, you know, couldn't couldn't uh, hurt that? And nope. just nope. The, it's it's what we live for apparently, and it's <laughs> happening right now. Well, thank you very much for that, Steve. And we do have one more phone call. We're going to try to squeeze in. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Uh, good morning. This is um, Brian from Rome, uh, the town. Rome, Italy? <laughs> no, the town of Rome, Maine. Rome, Maine, yeah. <laughs> hey, um, you guys talking about eagles. i got to chime in on this. Um, I was sitting down at Hollowell one time. Oh, I worked down there. I sit on the waterfront and watch the birds and the sturgeon and all this stuff. And I saw an eagle come down and snag a fish. And then he just, like, sat there and said, oh, my God, what's going on here, you know? So he looked like he was floundering around and like, man, he's got a fish he can't get out of the water with. So I kept watching him, and then he was out in the middle of the river, and he swam to the opposite shore with his wings, using his yeah. wings as propulsion. Huh? Sw yeah. Swam over there until he got to shallow water, and then ate the fish, and then took off. Was that uh, like an overhand stroke or a breaststroke? Yeah. Oh, it was in a you know, while, yeah. More like <laughs> a butterfly. That's what they do if, they, if they're not too far from shore. Yeah, I've seen that, too. It's yeah. kind of a, a butterfly sort of stroke. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Very okay, good. that's all I wanted to say. Thank, well, thank you, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. We are running into yeah, the corner of Boat Talk thing. this what, morning. Um, what do you fellas make of the lobstering situation oh we've been wanting to talk about that the lobsters are very early this year and well early uh, and then the, the and fishermen cheap. have had a big drop in the price the prices which is hurting them yeah it's good for tourists if you want to buy a lobster it's a great time to buy a lobster but it's not a great time to sell one no and again the uh, uh the season was was uh very the uh shedders have come in phenomenally early and uh 
they need to be processed in Canada. Now, the Canadians have a glut, too. They're finishing up their season, and uh, apparently they're overabundant with hard shells down there, and, and the thing is just off. Now, they also say it's the warmest summer six months we've ever had. It was a strange winter. It's kind of all connected. And we would love to talk more about the uh, lobster in here this summer. That could be a whole um, hour right there. Oh, easy. Yeah. We'd like to talk to Diane Cowan down to the Lobster Institute. My, my friend Sadie, who's a lobster girl, uh, I've already talked to her about talking to her. and uh, They want to redo the licensings of lobsters, too, is what they're looking at right now, the state government, because uh, you can wait your whole life to get a lobster license, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, pretty interesting, and again, it is the coast of Maine. It is the beautiful middle of July. It don't get any better, and if you're on a boat and eating a lobster, God bless you, and should, you know, if you're not happy, uh, come and get us, and we'll help fix that. Yeah. Well, we, another hour has sailed by. Time for us to make room for uh, Rich Hilsinger coming up next with On the Wing with a special guest, Noel Paul Stuckey, coming on at 12 o'clock. Till uh, next week, this is Boat Talk, or next month, this is Boat Talk. Stand by for Rich Hillsinger. I used to buy the bills of boat, and I used to buy the sail, sir. I used to buy the pencils of fish and take some home to lie, sir.